Hello and welcome to the Medico Lifestyle Study Medicine Podcast. My name is Dr Jonas Hayes, I'm a foundation doctor. And my name is Emily Kelly and I'm a graduate entry medical student. Our weekly podcast aims to tackle tough medical topics in 30 minutes. Welcome to this episode of our Study Medicine Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing diseases of the thyroid. Instead of starting with a clinical case this time, we're going to be discussing a range of different diseases of the thyroid gland, as well as making sure that we're all okay with that all-important background physiology. If you'd like to download associated notes with this podcast or any of our other podcasts, head to medicolifestyle.com, where we have free PDF downloads. Okay then, so let's start by thinking about uh, how thyroid hormone is released and what causes thyroid hormone to be released from the thyroid gland we start with that topic so i think i always lump it into that whole thing when we think about endocrinology Mm -hmm. with the hypothalamus and the pituitary the hypothalamic pituitary axis and i know today we're going to be focusing on just the thyroid part but i think for people who are listening like if you don't know about the hypothalamic pituitary axis or you need to look that up that would be a good thing to go away and do absolutely all the hormones that come in because there's so many that actually come into that great so in the case of the thyroid then specifically Uh, We're starting with the hypothalamus, which is in the brain, Mm -hmm. and that releases TRH, which Mm -hmm. is thyrotrophin releasing hormone, and that acts on the anterior pituitary, which is part of the pituitary gland also in the brain, and the anterior pituitary releases TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone. hence the name, and the thyroid stimulating hormone stimulates the thyroid gland itself to release thyroid hormone. Okay, and and we've got two different thyroid hormones then. Yes. um, And they've got numbers associated with them. Yeah, T3 and T4, right? Yeah, great. And so the sort of long names for T3 and T4, T4 is thyroxine. That's not so long. Not so long. But T3 (laughs) is triiodothyronine. Triiodothyronine. Yes. And do you know which of them is the more active form? No. So T3 is the most active form. Mm-hmm. It's got fewer iodines, yep. but it's it's the more active form. It's a sort of ratio of four to one, actually, uh, in how much more metabolically active it is. Okay. Um, so um, as with many um, processes to do with physiology, uh, there's also a feedback mechanism, isn't there? Oh, yeah. So... I suppose if you have enough thyroid hormones, the T3 and T4, that's going to negatively feed back Mm -hmm. to somewhere, either the anterior pituitary or the hypothalamus. So mostly to the the pituitary itself. Okay. So that will reduce the amount of TSH released if you've got enough uh, thyroid hormone being produced. Great. So it's quite simple, really. Yeah. So it's just that kind of loop. Um, And it kind of goes along happily until we run into problems, which we're going to find out later. Right. So thyroid hormone functions are quite wide reaching. Um, But just to give a bit of a background about some of the things that it does, um, it actually acts to increase the entire metabolic rate in the body. Mm -hmm. Um, It's involved in various parts of glucose metabolism. Um, It stimulates the breakdown and the synthesis of cholesterol and also stimulates lipolysis as well. 
it has a huge factor in sort of cardiac output and your cardiovascular system and it stimulates gut motility so it's got loads of different functions mm, not um, a lot it doesn't do really yeah there's, there's actually there's actually very few organs that it doesn't uh, really affect that much i think the brain and the spleen it doesn't have much to do with those but other than that it's it's affecting everything wow. um and it's a hormone that travels inside your cells to interact with your nuclear receptors so where is the thyroid gland i'm gonna go all out there and say it's in the neck wow <laughs> so that's that's specific anatomy so i mean you could say it, it sits just below the thyroid cartilage which is named after it which is your uh, your adam's apple is your thyroid prominence which is the prominence of the thyroid cartilage so if you sort of feel your Adam's apple. Yeah, you I might am, not like, have quite. <laughs> yes, you might not have quite a, as prominent. So guys have tend to have a bit of a more prominent Adam's apple. Um, is it above or below your? It's below. It's the it's the below your. Yeah, below the below the Adam's apple. Okay. But you're probably not going to be able to feel it as such until uh, until we talk about some of the pathologies. Okay. So the anatomy of the thyroid gland itself, it's got a, a right lobe, it's got a left lobe. It's also got a, what they call the isthmus, which is the bit in between that crosses. The what? The isthmus. Isthmus. Yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. And, uh, Great word, and, isthmus. And it is, and sometimes it has a pyramidal lobe, mm. um, which is kind of a part that, that grows up from the middle, mm. um, but not always present in all people. Yeah, I guess everyone's different in that way. Absolutely. There's lots of anatomical <laughs> variation. Yeah. Okay then, so let's figure out then how um, are these thyroid hormones actually made within within the thyroid gland? So we've said that they're stimulated by thyroid stimulating hormone, yeah. but I guess something more complicated has to happen. Yeah, so that's to release them. So how the thyroid actually makes thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. So you have these things called follicular cells, yeah. which surround a substance called colloid. Mm -hmm. And then we have um, a substance made by the follicular cells called thyroglobulin. Right. And that gets pushed inside this colloid. Mm -hmm. Inside there, you've also got some iodide ions, yeah. which get oxidised by an enzyme. Yeah. And the enzyme's called thyroperoxidase yeah. to make iodine. Now, the iodine combines uh, with some tyrosine residues, which are like amino acid residues, mm -hmm. on the thyroglobulin. And they then conjugate, so they join together up um, to make a kind of a thyroglobulin with T3 and T4 attached to it. Mm. Very okay. interesting. That then moves back into the follicular cell. And then when stimulated by TSH, uh, it kind of breaks off those T4 and T3 parts and releases them into the bloodstream. So yeah, it's a bit of a complicated process, but if you're kind of aware of the, the enzyme, the thyroperoxidase, yeah. and the fact that obviously it's using iodine yeah. to make thyroid hormones. That's, that's the, the main... key point I remembered was the, the iodine. Yeah, key point. <laughs> yeah. Okay then, and we said then which of them was uh, more sort of metabolically active. And that was the T3 that was the most metabolically active. Absolutely. So the T3 is the... Is the most metabolically active, but T4 is actually the, the hormone that's produced the most by the thyroid. Mm, but it can convert T4 into T3. Absolutely. So the majority of its conversion happens uh, peripherally in the body, um, and it's done by an enzyme called deiodinase, mm. which kind of makes sense because it's taking off an iodine deiodinase. Four goes to from three. Four to three. Yeah, makes sense. So it sort of happens at the point of use, maybe? Yeah, like... more like at the point of use. Okay. Cool. 
Um, okay, so we said now that thyroid hormone, it's sort of used in all these different places. Mm-hmm. Um, so then when we start to think about um, when we've got a, a patient now who's got a, a problem with their thyroid hormones, be that hyper, so too much, or hypo, too little, um, we can start to think about the presentations of okay. those diseases. Yeah. Okay, so you can see where we're going here. I'm going to ask you now. I'm thinking back to, to that seminar about thyroid examinations and what yeah. you're looking for and... So let's let's see. Can you kind of give me some idea about um, the signs and symptoms, uh, and sort of core features of someone with hyperthyroidism? So too much thyroid hormone. Okay, so like the classic patient yeah. I might have in my mind um, when I think about hyperthyroidism would be someone who might be like irritable, mm-hmm. um, hot. Yeah. Uh, maybe like uh, increased heart rate, mm. heart palpitations. Because we said it was important in cardiac output and things like mm. that. So yeah, your your increased sort of uh, high heart rate, tachycardia, maybe palpitations, maybe atrial fibrillation. Yeah. Okay, and you said that they they might be sort of appearing quite agitated and things like that. Yeah. Fine, fine. Anything else in the kind of examining when you're looking at their hands? Oh, um, it is difficult to remember between which ones come under the hyper and the hypo. Absolutely. There is some confusing naming in there as well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But the hands, you talk about uh, something called thyroid acropatchy. Yeah, absolutely. Which is like deposition or like bony growths or... It kind of looks like clubbing um, oh, okay. due, to, due to sort of proximal phalangeal, so finger bone growth. It is bony, like... Yeah, yeah. so kind of bony growth that makes the makes them look clubbed, essentially. Hmm. And there's some others as well. So there's like oncolysis, which is the fingernail that's sort of coming up away. Um, and mm-hmm. that's another hyperthyroidism. Um, you, you mentioned sort of heat intolerance, feeling hot. They can have hair loss. They can have weight loss as well, because if you think about their metabolic uh, state has sort of been supercharged. Can they get a tremor? They can get a tremor, yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you're testing their reflexes, you can find that they're hyper-reflexic, so they'll, they'll have good going responses to um, using your tendon hammer. Um, there's also a host of uh, manifestations in the eyes as well for certain diseases. Oh, uh, you look at the like eye movements and if their eyes are coming out their face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I think we'll we'll talk a bit more about those maybe when we look discreetly at uh, Graves' disease, which is one of the the hyperthyroid diseases. Yeah, yeah but we'll chat a bit more but about that. You do those. examine the eyes. You for do absolutely and... examine the eyes. Um, okay, so in contrast to that, someone with hypothyroidism, what are the kind of key features of someone with that? I always think like if they've got hypo, their metabolism is like slowed down. Mm-hmm. Hypo slow, like yeah, it. yeah. So they might have like gained weight, mm-hmm. be cold, mm-hmm. um, maybe constipated, tired, mm-hmm. low mood. Mm. Those are the sorts of things I think of. Yeah, and it is a kind of a real range um, of symptoms. The presentations of hypo and hypo, certainly in the hypothyroidism, if we if we take it quite far they can end up having sort of quite distinct cognitive problems, confusion, and it can lead to coma and seizures as well. So we'll we'll talk a bit more about that as well. Okay. All right then. So moving on, we've said the thyroid's in the neck, Mm. um, and we can have a swelling of the thyroid, which has a very specific name. 
like goiter. Yeah, so you can have a goiter. Um, so a goiter is one of the, the kind of neck masses that uh, that might be your differential. If someone says they've got a funny lump in their neck, essentially. Um, well, you can get like a nodule or a, or a growth on mm-hmm. the thyroid, but that doesn't, that's not a goiter as such, is it? Or well, is it? It does, yeah. So that, that would count as a goiter. So, any, okay. so any, any kind of enlargement of the thyroid, it can be either due to generally the tissue being infiltrated and being enlarged. Or even a specific area would yeah. still Or one count or more of nodule that, that okay. can, can be. Yeah, I didn't realise that. That's good to know, actually. So when you're doing your examination for, for a goiter, um, there are some discrete moves that you try and get them to do as well. Oh, you get them to like swallow water and stick out their tongue and yes. you feel both sides like either side of the neck absolutely um so you're going to fix with one side feel with the other when you're feeling either side of the thyroid mm-hmm. and when you get them to swallow do you know what's going to happen to to something that's a just a thyroid enlargement if it's actually the thyroid that's enlarged is it going to move yeah it will move so it should move with their swallow mm-hmm Unless, of course, they have a, a cancer of the thyroid, which has sort of infiltrated. We know, you know cancer is quite invasive. It invades into other tissues. Yeah. And if for that reason it's tethered to the skin and it doesn't move, that could be indicative of maybe it's, it's more of a cancerous growth. Um, but I it suppose should. it could be a lump not in the thyroid as it well, could, right? It could be a lymph node. could be another type neck. of neck lump. Yeah. <laughs> which there is, a, there is a basis of differentials for those as well. Okay, so it moves when you're swallowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about when you stick out your tongue? Here I am sticking out my tongue. Um, should it move or shouldn't it move? No, it, it moves when you swallow, but it doesn't move when you stick out your tongue, or it shouldn't move if shouldn't it's a thyroid move. swelling. Yes. So there is another type of swelling that also occurs in the midline, so in the middle of the neck, um, that will move when you stick out your tongue and will also move when you swallow. Mm-hmm. So that's a thyroglossal cyst. So that's a, a, a quite a funny one because uh, if we go back in in embryology, I thought you were going to say if we go back in time. Back in time, it's kind <laughs> of like going back in time. Certainly, so you, when we were an embryo. Yeah, and you know you look like a small dinosaur thing. Yeah, I cute. think so. Um, so thyroglossal cysts, yeah. Um, the thyroid gland itself uh, began life back uh, at the back of the throat. <laughs> at the dawn um, actually, of time. at the dawn of time. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, as part of the back of the tongue, um, and. At, during development, it moves down, uh, mm-hmm. down to the neck to where it then lives for the rest of our life when we're adults oh. or our children even. Um, so what can happen is you can have a remaining little tract um, that goes between the back of the, the tongue and the thyroid. Now, in that tract, uh, if that's open, you can get sort of cystic swelling where fluid just goes into it and, and fills it up, essentially. It's just a hole that's not going to be there. So because it's attached to, the, to essentially, on that line towards the tongue, when you move your tongue, it moves. How crazy is that? Very crazy. And that's a differential, then, for your thyroid goiter. But that moves with the tongue, yes. whereas a goiter or a thyroid swelling would not move with your tongue. So you've now, say, you've taken your history from your patient and you you kind of figured that they may have some sort of hyper or hypothyroid mm-hmm. problem. Um They've got a, a neck mass. They may do, they may not. Um, certainly not uh, all of these present with uh, obvious goiters or swellings. And isn't that the, the weird thing about goiter? Mm. Is that like, it doesn't, it can present with hyper or hypo, can have a goiter. Yes, yeah. But not 
not everybody or but or neither like yes that's, that's one the, the other thing. or neither and, yeah. and actually uh, if you can't see a goiter um, sort of up in the neck the, where else might it be oh you'd like percuss the sternum yeah to see if it's grown downwards so if it's retrosternal so if it's behind the sternum that's why you percuss the sternum to see it should make a nice sort of hollow sound mm. but if it doesn't if it makes a sort of dull sound then there may be uh, a thyroid gland that's extended down behind it so yeah very good to, to think about that and of course because it's you know it's in the neck it's by the airway if it grows really large whatever it is it can cause compromise to the airway as well oh gosh yeah okay so now you're going on to investigating someone then who you think has a problem with their thyroid right so there's classic tests that we do mm-hmm. in our kind of thyroid function tests do you know yeah. which tests they are so you're going to test for the things we were talking about in the release of thyroid hormone. So mm-hmm. you, you're going to talk about TSH, yeah. thyroid stimulating hormone, which is the one from the anterior pituitary. Yep. You can test for that. And you can test for the T3 and T4 yeah. in their, from their blood, from a blood test. Absolutely. And we actually test quite a specific version of those. We test predominantly for free T3 and free T4. It's free. It's free, yeah. And I can hear you thinking, why is it free? So the majority of our thyroid hormone travels bound in our blood to something called thyroid binding globulin. So it's a it's a protein, it's a globulin protein um, that stores, that sort of attaches to our thyroid. For like transport? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Blood's full of proteins that are transporting stuff. Yeah. Um, And so what you're measuring, you're measuring the free T3, so that's unbound. And the free T4, so it's unbound. It's not bound to those proteins. Right. And that's important because there are many conditions that can actually raise or decrease your amounts of thyroid binding globulin. And therefore, your total amount of free T3 or free T4 could change. Things like pregnancy can actually change that. So but I guess you, your body can only really use the free... Yeah, that's going to be the, the active stuff. Right. So that's what you're most interested in, in your tests. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. cool. Okay, so now we've kind of sussed that we've got free T3, free T4, and TSH. Um, I'm going to give you a diagnosis. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and these are general diagnoses, and you're going to explain to me what it means, and then tell me uh, what the levels are going to be of each of those three things. Okay. Okay. So let's start with primary hypothyroidism. Okay. And then you can explain what primary means. Okay, so primary indicates that the problem is with the thyroid itself, the actual mm-hmm. thyroid gland. So if you have a problem with your thyroid gland, it's not going to be able to release the thyroid hormone, the T3 and the T4. Therefore, your levels of T3 and T4 on your tests are going to be low. Mm-hmm. And we know it's a primary problem with the thyroid because... Also on the tests that come back, your TSH will be high. And that's because your anterior pituitary is obviously still working Mm -hmm. to try and stimulate the release of free T3 and T4. But it's the negative feedback isn't coming back because there's not enough levels of T3 and T4, indicating the primary hypothyroidism. Hey, hey, perfect explanation. Secondary hypothyroidism then. Okay, I was on a roll. Um, Let's try this. So secondary hypothyroidism Mm -hmm. is, because it's hypothyroidism, you've got low levels of your thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. So your free T3 and your free T4 are going to come back low. 
and secondary indicates that it's a problem with whatever is stimulating the thyroid so that's mm-hmm. going to be a problem with your pituitary um and i would then expect the tsh yeah in that respect to come back low yeah absolutely the next one then primary hyperthyroidism so primary in the same way that's yeah. it's a direct problem with your thyroid so but it's hyper so your thyroid is going to be releasing too much free too much t3 and t4 Mm-hmm. therefore your tsh levels are going to be low because there's not a problem with your anterior pituitary so that negative feedback loop is working efficiently to say actually we've got plenty of t3 and t4 please don't stimulate anymore mm-hmm. so your tsh will be low great and then following that in secondary hyperthyroidism so secondary hyperthyroidism again secondary so it's a problem with what's stimulating it mm-hmm. so that's your pituitary yep and it's hyper so your t3 and t4 are going to be high um, and if it's a problem with your pituitary, that's going to be high also because it's almost like the pituitary is telling it to release too much. Absolutely. So all, th- all three are high. Yeah. Good. So those are our thyroid function tests. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're investigating other uh, thyroid diseases as well, you may um, want to look at some thyroid autoantibodies as well. So as we'll say, some of these uh, thyroid diseases are autoimmune disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are antibodies associated with them, including things like antithyroid peroxidase mm-hmm. antibody, uh, antithyroglobulin antibody, um, and those may be raised in our autoimmune conditions. Um, there's also a TSH receptor antibody, and that uh, may specifically be raised in Graves' disease. So we're going to talk about the disease in that. a minute. Yeah. Cool. Um, and another investigation that you might see is an isotope scan. Um, and isotope scans can be useful for determining the cause of the hyperthyroidism or locating a retrosternal goiter. So they are basically a scan where you uh, are given some radioactive iodine that gets uptaken into your thyroid, is, it, is giving off some radiation. It helps you see uh, what they call hot or cold nodules. So they're parts of the thyroid that are either more or less active. Um, interestingly, the, the cold nodules are actually the ones that can be more uh, indicative of malignancy. Um, or you could see if the whole thyroid is, is overactive, where like it all will light up. antibody-mediated thing, right? Absolutely. So, if we're then thinking about, um, we talked then about the kind of features of hyperthyroidism, hypothyroidism, before we get on the, to the nitty-gritty of a few of the kind of named diseases, Yeah. Um, let's think about how we might treat overall kind of treatment uh, for conditions that cause hyperthyroidism. Okay. Yeah. So we can kind of break it down into into three or four main groups of treatments, mm-hmm. yeah? So the first is our antithyroid drugs. Yeah. Have you ever heard of any antithyroid drugs? Uh, carbimaz- carbimazole? Yeah. So carbimazole is one. Yeah. And that's good as it reduces the production of T3 and T4 mm-hmm. by blocking the thyroid peroxidase. Remember we mentioned that one in uh ha- in making our thyroid hormone yeah was important for that um, and there's another one as well another drug called propyl thiouracil um, and that also inhibits thyroid peroxidase but as well as doing that it inhibits the conversion of t4 to t3 as well so it's got a bit of a double whammy effect yeah so those are our anti-thyroid drugs we've also got um other options what else can we do to to 
reduce the function of our thyroid. Take it out. Take it out. Yeah. <laughs> so surgery. Um, so you've got thyroidectomy, which yep. is taking out the thyroid. Mm-hmm. Um, and remember, there are four little glands as well on the back of the thyroid. What are they? Oh, parathyroid. Yeah. So our parathyroid glands, which are important in our calcium metabolism. Yeah. Um, and so when you remove the thyroid gland, you try and spare those parathyroids. Mm. You can also have a subtotal thyroidectomy. So remember, we we talked about the kind of hot or cold nodules. If just take a, out a part. Of got, the just going to take out part. The problem. Absolutely. Um, so that's a subtotal. What can you see as the sort of complications then of having a thyroidectomy? Say. Oh, you can damage your um, recurrent laryngeal nerve. Yeah. So you have like problems with voice produ- production. Yeah. So. Um, you can have some vocal cord paralysis on one side if it damages the recurrent laryngeal nerve on that side. Mm. Um, and also, um, so that's obviously a massive factor in, yeah, in surgery. Um, if you lop off too much thyroid and forget that we've got the parathyroids as well, you can have hypoparathyroidism if you remove oh, those right, yeah, you get rid of your parathyroids by accident. Yeah. And also, actually, when you do surgery to the thyroid, you can cause a release of thyroid hormone, which is not what you're aiming for. Oh, yeah. So after some surgeries, you can have hyperthyroidism. And of course, if you take away the thyroid completely... Well, then they don't have any thyroid hormone at all. So then they're hypothyroid. They absolutely will be hypothyroid. Hmm. Okay. It's not an ideal situation, really, is it? No, and if you're <laughs> hypothyroid completely because you've had surgery, you're going to need some, some thyroid replacement. Which we'll talk about later, I guess. Yeah. Um, other methods for dealing with hyperthyroidism then, we've got a radioactive iodine. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is where you're given um, iodine that uh, emits radiation that you, you take, it gets uptaken by the thyroid mm-hmm. and destroys the thyroid gland as well. So again... Destroying the thyroid gland, you can unfortunately lead to um, some thyroid hormone release when you destroy it as well. And afterwards, you can become hypothyroid as well. So you try and balance these. Um, it's really a balancing act, the whole treatment thing, isn't it? Like Absolutely. And kind of after you've dealt with destroying the thyroid gland, you then got to replace afterwards. Yeah. Um, you can do things to sort of manage symptoms um, if you don't want to do anything, if you don't want to do anything more... Um, proactive there you can manage it with things like propanolol so a beta blocker and that can help manage some of the symptoms like tachycardia and anxiety it's quite good because it also partially inhibits the conversion of t4 to t3 Hmm. which is a nice point why don't you tell us now a bit about the diseases that those could be used for okay so the most like most i don't know if it's most common it probably is most common the most common hyperthyroid disease Mm -hmm. the one that comes to mind is graves disease yeah so if I remember rightly, Graves' disease is autoimmune condition. Yeah. It's most common cause of hyperthyroid in developed countries. Yeah. And, yes, it's autoimmune. It's caused by antibodies. Yeah, so it's caused by TSH receptor antibodies, which are all over the thyroid gland. So when you do the radioactive scan, mm-hmm. you can see that the whole thyroid lights up because it's uptaking that uh, all over. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't just affect the thyroid as well. Mm. Which other parts does it affect? So um, the Graves' disease is the one that commonly gets the eye signs mm-hmm. you think of in thyroid disease. Yeah. And they can also get um, skin problems as well. Yeah. So the eye signs are when, because the antibodies 
that bind to the thyroid, the TSH receptor mm-hmm. antibodies, also bind to like tissue behind the eye, mm-hmm. which swells because the antibodies are all binding to it, and that's what pushes the eyes forward. And I think the antibodies also deposit in the skin, which gives you that uh, derm- dermopathy like yeah. skin Absolutely. thyroid thing. Yeah, yeah. so that's that's the derm- dermopathy. And do you know the, the uh, special names for all of the eye signs then? Okay, so you get lid retraction, yeah. which is... Um, when you can see the white all the way around the eye, because mm-hmm. normally like your eyelid sits on top of your iris and you can't yes. see sclera all the way around, but your lid retracts, so it's like white. The proptosis is the eyes protruding forward. Mm-hmm. Um, Chemosis is another one, so oh, swelling of the conjunctiva, um, and also swelling around the eyes. Like periorbital yeah, swelling. Periorbital edema. And um, what about when you make them do the the movements? Look at my finger and watch it moving. Are you looking for double vision? Yes, yeah, so you look for double vision or, or pain um, when they're when they're looking side to side as well, and that's mm. ophthalmoplegia. Mm. So that's because those antibodies bind to some of the extraocular muscles as well. Oh. Um, so not all patients with Graves' disease will have eye signs, but twenty five percent roughly may have some eye signs. It's always that picture in the textbook of the like eyes yeah, like the eyes staring out. out the page, and you're like, absolutely. <laughs> okay, um, so management we've kind of already covered then, mm-hmm. and said that uh, antithyroid drugs predominantly. Yep. Um, and they use a, a regimen that they call block and replace. So you block it, yep. stop it re- re- secreting too much thyroid hormone. Yep. And then you have to replace the thyroid hormone that you've lost. So absolutely. Levothyroxine. Yeah. So levothyroxine, synthetic thyroxine, synthetic T4. Is that the first? Know? sort of thing they try that yep. block and replace absolutely um if it's not working um then you can think about ways to to actually destroy the thyroid gland so that's when the radioactive iodine comes in or whether you want to take it out have surgery hmm. okay all right then so other conditions that cause primary hyperthyroidism we've got a toxic thyroid adenoma and toxic multinodular goiter so, good names. Mm. Can you tell me anything about a toxic thyroid adenoma? I mean, it's not cancer. So, it's almost always actually benign. Okay. Um, and it's a solitary nodule on the thyroid mm-hmm. that secretes thyroid hormone. Um, and so, when you're doing your thyroid scan, your isotope scan, what are you going to see? Just like one area that's... Lit up, right? Yeah. Um, so, the management then, um, actually, first line is to, to use radioactive iodine. Mm-hmm. Um then if you want to have surgery... They can uh, just take that bit. Yeah, right. so a subtotal thyroidectomy mm-hmm. is possible. And again, if, if those aren't appropriate, third-line thing might be to, to use antithyroid drugs instead. Cool. Okay, so then toxic multinodular goiter, so more than one nodule. Mm-hmm. And all these nodules are hyperfunctioning. Yep. Um, so these are actually a bit more common in older adults. Yep. Um, but again... Do we think cancer or not cancer? Remember what we said about hot and cold nodules? Oh, yeah, we said that the cold nodules yeah. are more often cancerous yeah. or malignant. So if this is if we're saying these are hot nodules, then, then we're going to be more often benign. Yeah, so the funny one here is that the hot nodules, yes, are mostly ben- going to be benign, but it can have cold nodules in between that may be cancerous. Ooh, so All a bit of a complicated picture with this. Yeah, so this is a bit more of a complicated one. Again, though, management, radioactive iodine is the, is the first line. 
thyroidectomy, um, so that may be first line if you're suspecting cancer, or because this is a goiter, this is a big swelling in the neck, if it is causing compromise of your airway because of the swelling... You want to get it out. Then you want to get it get out. Get it out, get yeah. it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and antithyroid drugs as well. Also useful. Also useful, depending on um, if those things aren't appropriate, but it's going to be quite patient-specific. Mm. So... We've got this big spectrum of um, of problems with the thyroid, with hyperthyroidism. Yep. Um, do you know what it's called, actually, if we uh, have sort of hyper... What's hyperthyroidism in overcharge? Oh, like thyroid storm. Yes, very dramatic sounding. It's, yeah, it's it one sounds of those good great. things in medicine that sound very dramatic. Thyroid storm. So thyroid storm is pretty life-threatening. It's an emergency. It's a medical emergency. Um, and do you know what sort of occasions that will occur in well i guess people who have hyperthyroidism already and maybe it's not treated yeah so it can either be um so can people people with hyperthyroidism that uh they're trying to treat it with these radioactive things etc and it's kind of ineffective and it can also happen if you've got an intercurrent illness as well it can uh set off a thyroid yeah um, or if you, you know, you've just had the radioactive iodine, it's destroyed parts of your thyroid and let it all out. Oh. <laughs> so the, the presentation here mm-hmm. uh, is quite important to yeah. recognise. So it's that of a high fever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very agitated. They've got a very fast heart rate, uh, atrial fibrillation. They can have hypertension. Yep. Um, and they, this might then lead to heart failure eventually. Oh, so it's pretty. It's pretty, pretty bad. serious. Yeah. Um, and so the management of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be with our antithyroid drugs, yep. particularly the propylthiouracil, because it's that one that has that dual action of uh, blocking conversion as well as blocking creation. Okay, yeah, double whammy. Uh, yeah, you also give hydrocortisone some propanolol, uh, so slow propanolol down, yeah. to slow down heart. the heart. Yeah, <laughs> so very it doesn't useful. explode. <laughs> I mean, sorry, put you into heart failure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the thyroid doesn't explode. <laughs> Um, and also, actually, there's a there's a very funny one where you can give some iodine as well, which seems very counterintuitive. Um, but there's this very strange effect where if you actually have ingestion of iodine, it can stop the thyroid from producing thyroid hormone just by a matter of saying, look, you've got loads of iodine coming in. You don't need to make thyroid hormone. But that's a funny uh, effect. Sometimes I wish people on the podcast could see my face. Yes. I'm just looking at you it's like, It's very what? quizzical. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's kind of all our primary uh, hyperthyroidisms. Obviously, cool. uh, you could then have a secondary hyperthyroidism. So we a problem with the, the pituitary. Picture. Yeah. So if you had a pituitary adenoma, mm-hmm. which would be secreting what? TSH. Yep. So that, again, could cause uh, hyperthyroidism. But that's actually quite quite rare to have a pituitary adenoma that's secreting. And that is treated differently because it's not a problem with your actual thyroid. And- Absolutely. Okay then, so let's move then on to hypothyroidism. Okay. Well, this is kind of simple, management of hypothyroidism. What's the mainstay of well, treating it? We've said already that we, we give them thyroid hormone, so levothyroxine is a synthetic version of T4, if I'm right? Very good, yeah. So it's thyroxine, it's T4, and therefore it gets converted peripherally into T3. So I see treatment for hypothyroidism or hypothyroidism post-treatment for your hyperthyroidism. <laughs> Great. Oh, very confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um, how do we monitor that someone's on the right level of thyroxine? Um, do you monitor their TSH? Yeah, absolutely. So it's negative feedback, T4, isn't it? Yeah. So if they're on the right level, their TSH level is going to be? Normal. 
yeah, normal. <laughs> Absolutely. So if their TSH was high, you'd say... They don't have enough. Yeah, give them some more. If the TSH is low... They've got too much. Yeah, exactly. Well done. Hey. So there your body's telling you. Um, and it's important to say here that uh, actually in sort of worldwide, uh, a large cause of hypothyroidism, it's actually just not having enough iodine in your diet. Um, and so that can be quite prevalent in uh, countries with poor iodine intake. So giving iodine essentially is the, is the treatment for that. But global efforts to kind of increase the amount of iodine in, in things like salt have kind of rectified that problem in a lot of places. Hmm. It's not something you'll, you'll tend to see. They put iodine in, in salt? Yeah. Oh. Iodinized salt. Is it in cereal? Like loads of stuff's in cereal. <laughs> I'm not sure. It probably is in cereal. Everything's <laughs> put everything in cereal. In cereal. Yeah. For, cereal's fortified with everything. Sure, so, we didn't eat cereal as a child. Yeah, I know. So what's the most common cause of hypothyroidism? In countries with sufficient iodine intake, we're yeah. talking about Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Again, this is an autoimmune-mediated mm-hmm. disease. Yeah. Uh, it's caused by lots of lymphocytic infiltration of the thyroid gland, which eventually sort of destroys the thyroid. Um, and that's why you then have um, hypothyroidism. But if it's destroying the thyroid, what else can you have? Oh, you get like hyperthyroidism and then it drops off. Yeah, so rarely it can cause a transient hyperthyroidism before it causes the hypothyroidism. Mm. Yeah. Um, but you're going to have very high uh, amounts of these autoantibodies if you're cool. testing for them. Um, okay, so then obviously... Predominantly, the way we're going to rectify this situation is with hypo. Give them levothyroxine. Yeah. Great. Do you know any other causes of hypothyroidism? Oh, there's the primary atrophic hypothyroidism, which is where it's like another autoimmune condition, mm-hmm. uh, but you get atrophy, so you're you're not likely to get a goiter if there's atrophy, um, and you can just, as we said, replace it with replace with levothyroxine. Great. So on the other end of the spectrum to the thyroid storm, mm-hmm. got another emergency. Oh yeah, myxodemic con- crisis. Absolutely. So it's our severe hypothyroid state, mm-hmm. and it can be precipitated by an infection in hypothyroid patients, or as a result of the radioiodine or the thyroidectomy. Again, we're low enough. You've literally just taken their thyroid out, and then yeah. Now it's a crisis. Cool. Okay, so how do you think that would present? Um, well, I think they can go into a coma eventually, like... Absolutely, they can. Um, but I guess I guess it's all those symptoms you think about with someone who presents, like, at the GP with hypothyroid, but yeah. on a more severe spectrum. So yeah. they're not just cold, they're hypothermic. Yeah. And um, hyporeflexic, mm-hmm. uh, hypoglycemic. Yes, absolutely. Um, they can have bradycardia, seizures. I guess they can get cardiac manifestations as well yeah they can actually go into cardiogenic shock mm. um and they can go into they can have as you say these very profound bradycardias and some respiratory depression as well everything's slowing right down so treating that you're gonna have to really get on top of treating if it's respiratory depression you're gonna have to support their ventilation and the respiration mm-hmm. um if they're going to cardiogenic shock any ideas of what you might do Give them something for their heart. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're going to give them ionotropes, um, okay. so drugs that help support the beating of their heart. Yep. Um, if they're hypothermic, you're going to warm them up, obviously. Um, and to correct then their need for thyroid, uh, rather than just giving levothyroxine, you can give leothyronine, synthetic T3. 
So you're giving them the, the really metabolically active. Oh, so you don't have to wait T3. for it to get converted to use it. And... No, because this, right. this is a real emergency. Mm. There are alternate regimens with levothyroxine. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Cool. Leothyronine. Interesting one. Okay, so that's our kind of whole spectrum then of thyroid diseases from the thyrotoxicosis to the myxedemic crisis. And everything in between. Everything kind of in between. Um, if you want to follow up with checking out our free PDF, which you can download on our website, um, it's got everything we've talked about in today's podcast, um, and you can find it on www.medicolifestyle.com. And I hope you tune in for the next episode. Okay.